All right. Welcome, everybody. It's good to be back here with you. I've been out of the podcast game for a couple of weeks now, but I uh, am excited to be back. I had a couple of speaking engagements, and so it's good to have those done and now be able to join with you back again on this podcast. For today, I wanted to address a real big phenomenon that's happening in Christian circles. It goes by the name of deconstruction. And what I wanted to do today is uh, just address some of the different facets and start uh, kind of unpacking this this really complicated, interesting phenomenon that's happening right now. Um, so I'm excited to have you here. Stick around. We got a great episode. All right, everybody, let's get after it. Today is going to be kind of an ambitious episode. I'm going to try to cover quite a bit of ground here and also keep things somewhat approachable, somewhat understandable. Um, When it comes to the topic of deconstruction, like a lot of things in the Christian theological space, it it can get real complicated. So we're going to try and cover some big areas today, big uh, pieces of theology, but also try to make this actually useful. So the topic on the table today is Christian deconstruction. And here's what I'm hoping to do. I want to address five different areas of deconstruction. I want to ask, first of all, what is deconstruction? I then want to pose the question, when is deconstruction good? Which then conversely poses the other question, when is deconstruction bad? Uh, How do Christians respond? How should we respond? To, Christ, uh, to people deconstructing. And then I want to go through a real life example of uh, deconstruction, a, a popular figure right now who is been very public and very open about his own deconstruction process and wanted to just kind of look at this to give us a real life example. So we'll start with the first topic on the table. The first question, what exactly is deconstruction? Well, Deconstruction is actually kind of hard to pin down. It's hard to define because uh, people deconstruct for a lot of different reasons. They start from all kinds of different points. The similar theme, what you're going to see in all deconstruction, is basically it is a reassessment of Christianity. It's looking at Christianity and having questions, posing maybe some doubts, there have been, when the, in probably the last four or five years, maybe even longer than that now, there have been some really like key public celebrity Christian figures who have deconstructed. A um, couple of examples. If you grew up in the 90s, the, the Christian band DC Talk was just like mega, mega huge. They were super influential. Um, th- this was like one of the biggest Christian bands around. And one of their lead singers, a guy by the name of Kevin Max, he now identifies himself as an ex-evangelical, not evangelical, but an ex-evangelical. Um, and it has been very public about his process of, of kind of stripping down the Christian faith, getting rid of a lot of the things that uh, seem kind of out of step or out of touch and and has really kind of pulled apart his Christian faith. Uh, There was a a real public deconstruction with uh, John Steingart. He used to be the lead singer for the Christian band Hawk Nelson. They were uh, like a a pop punk Christian band in the early 2000s and actually put out kind of some catchy pop punk music. He's been real public about his own deconstruction. Um, And then one that was just huge was Joshua Harris. If you don't know who Joshua Harris is, he wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. 
this book was like massive in Christian circles in the nineties and the early two thousands. Um, this book like really shaped how many evangelicals looked at courting, looked at dating, looked at marriage. Um, and, and this guy wrote that book. He became a pastor, pastored for 20 plus years. And then just recently came out that him and his wife were getting a divorce he was stepping away from ministry and and actively deconstructing his faith, kind of pulling apart his faith. So this isn't an isolated incident. This isn't like a one-off thing. It's happening all over the place. And it's really interesting. It's happening with a lot of kind of like high-profile musicians, high-profile pastors. Um, and, and so I think it's something that as Christians, we need to know how to address, how to think about. So when we say deconstruction, what do we mean? Well, it, it primarily takes three forms. You're going to see this shape itself in three different categories. There's more than these, but just to give a broad overview, these three different areas. The first one will be, we're trying to get back to the basics. It, it will be people trying to strip away a lot of cultural aspects that attach themselves to Christianity and it, it will be people trying to go, okay, what does the Bible say? We want to get rid of some of these cultural things that have wormed their way into the scriptures and into the faith. What is like what C.S. Lewis would say? What is mere Christianity? What is like the, the bottom level, core, basic tenets of the Christian faith? And then let's try to cut away all the fat, all the cultural fat that has attached itself to that mere Christianity, like the just the orthodox center of what Christianity is. Um, deconstruction can also be trying to get rid of uh, like legalistic morality. It can be addressing, here are some moral standards that have been, um, they've been hyper-focused or, or they've, been, they've been elevated to a place that they shouldn't be. And a lot of times what you're seeing right now is a, a real pushback on the sexual ethics of the Bible. Most of the time, and and we'll get into this in just a little bit, most of the time you're seeing people address the, the Bible's stance on marriage, uh, especially when it comes to like the LGBT com community. And you have a lot of people deconstructing and, and trying to, to alter or change or push back on what the Bible says about marriage because they have LGBT family members, they have uh, friends, they have loved ones, or, or maybe they themselves identify in this way. And they're wrestling with, okay, what do I do with this? The Bible says this, is that what it really says? Um, this is what church tradition has been saying when it comes to marriage. Is that what's actually true? Is this uh, just like a legalistic morality that's been imposed onto Christianity? You have people looking at especially the sexual ethics of the Bible and saying, is this real? Is that actually what the scriptures are saying? And then this is probably the most severe case of deconstruction. It, it really turns into like just a rejection of God's existence, or um, sometimes it, it becomes kind of just an agnosticism. It sort of turns into, I just don't know. That's what agnostic means. Like, I, I just don't know. I don't know if God's real. A lot of times you'll have problems like the problem of evil or the problem of divine hiddenness or 
there will be some some tough passages in the scriptures that people will look at and address and go, I don't know how to solve this. Therefore, I'm not sure if God is is real. And uh, that that's kind of the most severe uh, like result of deconstruction. You go, man, I don't even know if God exists. It can also take form and like, you know, I don't know if the Bible's real. I don't know if there really is such a thing as like Jesus's church, like an established church um, that, that God wanted to create in advance. So it it's kind of that uh, that rejection of like some of the core tenets of Christianity, the authority of the Bible. I don't know if God's even real. I don't know if Jesus really was real, if he died and rose from my sin. I don't know if some of these Old Testament scriptures can be taken at face value. Are they just symbolic? It, all kinds of questions just start popping up in this deconstruction process. So I know that's kind of ambiguous, but honestly, deconstruction is a little bit like there's no there's no rough edges to it. It, it kind of is amorphous. It, it's hard to really define what it is, but it's basically like a, a skepticism, a reevaluation of Christianity. Now, here's when deconstruction can be good. Uh, we need to be careful to not just call it evil right out of the gates. We need to be careful to say any kind of doubt or skepticism towards Christianity is bad because that's not true. Um, I myself am a Protestant. I'm a Protestant Christian. Uh, a Protestantism was birthed out of what you could say is, I mean, deconstruction. It was Martin Luther looking at the Catholic Church and saying, there are some things here that aren't correct. There are some things here we need to change. Um, and that's what the Protestant Christian uh, branch of Christianity kind of was birthed out of. So not all deconstruction is bad. Here's when it can be good. Deconstruction is good when you have a genuine question. Um, there is, and to our shame, there is a lot of pressure in Christian circles to never ask questions and never doubt. And that is not good. All through the, the New Testament, you see Paul reasoning with the Greeks, a, a very philosophically robust culture, people that really, they spent time thinking and thinking deeply. And Paul didn't shy away from it. He reasoned with them. Um, he didn't guilt trip them. He didn't beat them over the head. Just believe me because I said so. He, he tried to give them compelling arguments for why Christianity was the most valid, most logical worldview. Um, so when you have a simple question, that's not a bad thing. It's not deconstruction to go, man, I have a question about this. I want answers and to dig and to press people and to go, I, I need to find the answers to this. I think the Christian church could do far better in that regard of not shying away from questions or not discouraging questions. Um, but but if a faith in today's world is going to survive, it needs to know how to ask questions well and then find answers well. Um, it, deconstruction isn't bad when you're looking for the, the real standard of good. Um, a lot of deconstruction you'll see is birthed out of this pastor has been saying this is the right way to go for, for you know, 10, 15 years. This pastor, this celebrity, religious figure, almost maybe it's like a cult-like following. They've been dictating this, this, and this. The, the Bible says this, this, and this. This is what's good. This is what's bad. This person has been kind of the standard of right and wrong. And deconstruction isn't bad when you go, but is that person trustworthy? Is that person in line with 
what's really good, what's really right. You see, one of the what I think is one of the most compelling arguments for the existence of God is that there there must be a law that is beyond human law. There must be something beyond just what popular opinion says, just what the government says. It seems like we know in our souls there is real right and there is real wrong. Um, there is wrong that is uh, over and above and beyond just what the culture says. Uh, there is a real moral standard over and ab- over and above what just the government says. And so when a person starts asking, well, is this pastor really telling the truth? Is this pastor really in line with what is ultimately good and true? That's not a bad thing. That's actually very, very healthy. That helps keep preachers of God's word in account. And that is a a good thing. Um, Deconstruction isn't bad when you start dealing with legalistic attachments to salvation. So when somebody starts saying you have to believe in Jesus and do X, Y, or Z, it's not a bad thing to deconstruct that because the scriptures don't teach that. Uh, it's not bad, once again, if there's an authoritarian leader who refuses to let themselves be challenged, refuses to have people ask questions. That is not bad to deconstruct from that. Um, the truth should never shy away from skepticism. The truth should invite skepticism because it allows itself to show itself to be true. Skepticism will reveal the truth to show itself. Um, So any kind of powerful, authoritarian, cult-like church leader who suppresses any kind of pushback, uh, it is good and right to deconstruct from that. Um, If there's any kind of additional holy book written to the scriptures that that doesn't have the archaeological evidence, doesn't have the historical evidence, doesn't have the manuscript evidence, doesn't have any of the uh, extemporaneous or uh, outside secondary corroboration of historical events like the Bible does, well, then those those secondary holy books should be questioned. They should be looked at with a very, very careful eye. Um, it's not bad to kind of deconstruct from that. Um, and then this is a big one in, in the circles I run in, but certain like end times prophecies. There, there's a lot of churches out there who they really make their whole thing about the end times. We're, we're predicting when the Lord's coming back, even though Jesus said, nobody knows the day I'm coming back. Um, they make all these kind of predictions about who's going to win certain elections and who's going to not win certain elections. And then those predictions don't come true. Um, If you see a church making those kind of predictions, when the Bible specifically said don't make those predictions, it's probably good to start deconstructing their whole system because you might not have what is what is biblical, what is true. Same thing with like people who take these real staunch, hard lines on um, like predestination or free will. People who will say that uh, it's only predestination. It's only Calvinism. It's only the sovereignty of God's will. There's not even like the acknowledgement of all the verses in the Bible that talk about man's free will. Um, Like if somebody's not even going to acknowledge those things, uh, you you just got to be careful that that gets into some really tricky spaces and, and vice versa. Somebody who won't even acknowledge the foreknowledge and the predestination and the sovereignty of God, they're not reading the Bible honestly. They're cherry picking certain views. Uh, When it comes to like the age of the earth, 
I mean, I can't tell you how many Christians I have personally met who said, I stopped believing in Christianity because I got told the earth is 6,000 years old. I got told there were dinosaurs on the ark. Now, there's a whole nother view that says that wasn't the case. There's a whole nother view called old earth creationism. And it, it doesn't force people into that belief. And it is very consistent with what Genesis 1 and 2 preaches. Um, so when people take certain elements of the Bible and, and they make them ultimate, they say, you are not a Christian unless you believe in this secondary or tertiary third level issue. That's probably a good thing to deconstruct. When somebody's making, you know, second, third, fourth level issues ultimate, it's not a bad thing to to triage that and and go, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not a first order salvation nature of God issue. This is secondary. This is third. Like this is tertiary. This is deeper down the scale. Um, this doesn't dictate whether somebody's saved or not. So that's when it is good. It's good to deconstruct in those areas. When is deconstruction bad? Well, deconstruction's bad when we we simply disagree with something because we don't like it. We may come across a doctrine or a passage in the Bible, and our, our kind of visceral knee-jerk reaction is, I don't like that, therefore I get rid of it. And that is not intellectual honesty. We're not actually wrestling with what's being said here, why is this being said here. There's no deeper investigation. It is purely an emotional, visceral response. And, and it doesn't get us closer to the truth because the, the knife cuts the other way. If somebody says this is true because I like it, well, that doesn't get you closer to the truth either. Um, whether we like something or we don't like something, that doesn't move us any closer to the truth. Um, we have to actually examine it. We have to actually go, okay, how do I know that this could be true or false? Deconstruction is bad when we disagree with something because we can't make sense of it. This is very similar to the first one. If if I respond to a doctrine in the scriptures and I go, I can't make sense of that, therefore I must reject it. Um, that's a dangerous position to be in because what we're saying is that our intellect, my thinking, my capacity to understand is ultimate. We're saying there's no possibility for there to be a reality or a concept beyond me that I can't understand. And, and that's just foolish. Of course, there's things beyond us uh, like, man, you would not have to look hard at my life to see I have been wrong hundreds of times. I have made mistakes hundreds of times, uh, and I, I don't think I'd have to look hard at your life either to find out you've made all kinds of mistakes. So when we say I don't agree with this because I can't make sense of it, we're saying our intellect is ultimate. Our intellect is is top of the food chain, never wrong. But of course, that's that's just not the case. Um, and, and this is similar. We're, we're seeing this right now in our culture all the time. People will place their thoughts and their emotions, especially their emotions. They place their thoughts and their emotions as the ultimate, the ultimate arbiter, the ultimate like determination of truth. So what I think and what I feel is the ultimate standard of truth. And that's just a really dangerous place to be in because once again, you and I are wrong all the time. There is so much objective evidence that I don't make a good standard of truth. I don't make a good arbiter, a good decider of what is true. 
um, I, I need to appeal to something beyond me to tell me what is true. I have a capacity to kind of see it. I have a capacity to, to intellect and to reason. But man, you could just look at all, all these decisions I've made in my own life that have been harmful. It, it shows that I'm not the most trustworthy, reliable person. Uh, deconstruction is bad when we're seeking cultural inclusivity and cultural popularity at the expense of truth. I see this a lot right now. There are um, there are doctrines in the scriptures. There are theological truths in the Bible that are not popular. And a lot of times people will try to pull those apart because what they care more about is being seen in a popular light by the culture. They, they care about the culture, uh, loving them and affirming them. They do not want to stand at odds with popular opinion. And then deconstruction is, is bad when you make a standard ultimate that is changing and subjective. So when, when you take your feelings and your emotions and you say, this is ultimate, that's dangerous because your feelings and your emotions change all the time. Uh, when you take popular opinion and you say, whatever the popular opinion says, that's right, that's true, that's good, that's beautiful. The problem with that is that, that standard's changing all the time. It's fickle. It's not fixed. It, it changes like the wind. Um, when you take whatever the government says, whatever the government says is right, true, and good, that's what is right, true, and good. Well, that standard changes all the time. It changes every four years. Whoever's in office, they're constantly changing things. So we, we can't deconstruct and then go, here's a standard I'm going to appeal to for, for true beauty, true right and wrong, and that standard's just changing like the wind. That gets us into trouble. Let me move now to the third question. Here's what we've covered so far. What is deconstruction? When is it good? When is it bad? Here's the fourth element. How do Christians respond to people who are deconstructing? Now, this is where we need God's wisdom and we need the leading of the Holy Spirit. I have seen horrible, horrible responses online to these people who are taking a very bold step and sharing their deconstruction. These are people who were, I mean, they're brought up in the cultural Christian zeitgeist, like, you know, this dude from DC talk, this guy from Hawk Nelson, like they were brought up in Christian circles. Then for them to come out and go, Hey, I have questions and I'm doubting. And then here's what they're met with. They're met with all kinds of people online, just blasting them, telling them they're going to hell, telling them to, you know, repent, telling them, I hope you enjoy your sin now. Cause you're going to be burning forever. Like the responses are not in step with what the scriptures call us to do. So here's two verses, and, and I just, it's not my opinion. I want the word of God to speak into how we respond to people deconstructing. Jude chapter 1, verse 22. Jude 1, 22 says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on them. You need to be patient with them. Your disposition must be merciful towards them. And what I see happening all the time is like people and people get off on this self-righteous, holier than thou state of mind on both the Christian and the non-Christian side. It happens on both sides. Both people do it. They love to feel superior. They love to feel like they have the moral high ground. 
that is not what the scriptures call us to, to do. The scriptures say, no, have mercy on those who are doubting. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. First Peter three fifteen. always be ready to give a defense for the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. So Peter goes, you need to be ready. You need to know these questions. You need to think about what people are struggling with. You need to have your own answers for these questions. The Christian is not called to be intellectually lazy. The Christian is not called to punt the responsibility of defending the faith to other people. Um, That's part of why I wanted to start this podcast. I wanted to help you get equipped to know, love, and defend the word. And it comes from one of these verses. Like this is one of the verses that inspired it. Always be ready to give a defense, an apologia. But you do it with gentleness and respect. You don't do it in a way that's arrogant. You don't do it in a way that is just waiting to talk. You do it in a way that actually listens. You do it in a way that really seeks to understand, a way that's patient. You you do it in a way that is marked by the tenderness, the grace, and then hear me, and also the intellectual strength. Tenderness, grace, compassion, but hey, it's not like weak passivity. It's tenderness, grace, and intellectual strength. And, and this is really, man, we just need to rely on the spirit more. You can spend so much time in books. You can spend so much time getting theological, apologetic questions. All that stuff is really good. But if it isn't backed up with the compassion and the love and the joy and the peace that the spirit produces in us, like if it doesn't have that aroma of Christ to it, it's going to fall on deaf ears. Um. So we respond with mercy. We be locked and loaded, ready to go, but we do it with gentleness. We do it with respect, leaning on the spirit of God to empower us to respond in a way that would honor him and his kingdom. Now, let me move into this final, fifth and final area. I want to show you uh, an example of somebody who's been very public about his deconstruction. Um, This is a very popular YouTuber by the name of Rhett. He's from the show Rhett and Link. Um, if you've been around YouTube at all, you've probably seen these uh, these guys that have funny, cool videos. Um, I think their show is called uh, Mythical Morning, Good Mythical Morning, something like that. Anyways, very popular YouTubers. And uh, Rhett has shared over the years his process of deconstruction. And I want to play this clip from you that he recently uh, had in an interview. This full interview can be found online. But check this clip out, and then I want to show you maybe some ways that we could answer to it. Check this out. Just imagine that there are multiple people who have telescopes pointed at the sun to look at the sun. And then there's one guy who starts saying, hey, I think that the sun is in my telescope. You know, I think that my telescope is the, is the thing. Like, it's the right telescope. Um, you know, you're convinced that the thing that gives you your concept of God, in this case, your religion of choice, is the thing that is ultimate, the thing that matters versus whatever it's pointing to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, for me, was what happened. I, I think in many ways it was 
a complete preoccupation with the telescope itself and a defense of the telescope itself uh, and being convinced that I had found the right telescope. And I'm learning more and more that my deconstruction was not necessarily a deconstruction of God. It was a deconstruction of my telescope. Okay, so Rhett here appeals to a very common objection. This is an objection that has been around for actually a long, long time. The The metaphor he uses is a telescope. He says, I, I started to picture my faith a lot like a telescope looking out at the sun. And what I started to think was that my telescope was unique. My telescope was special. It was different from all the other telescopes. And really, he goes, it, it wasn't so much the sun I was trying to get rid of. I just realized my telescope was one telescope amongst many telescopes. Uh, I was seeing a particular glimpse or view of the sun while somebody a couple of doors down was looking through their tele telescope and, and they saw the same sun just from a different angle or a different perspective. Um, and, and this is really a very old fashioned, common objection to Christianity. Um, this objection is pushing back on the exclusive nature of Christianity. Christianity in, in many ways is offensive. In many ways, it is making truth claims saying that Jesus is the only way that this faith, this faith system is the objective truth and that every other religious system, every other belief system is thereby false. Um, that is the nature of truth on, on the law of con non-contradiction. Uh, you, you can't have A be true and B also be true. Um, you have to have one of those being true. Now, um, this, this telescope image or metaphor is very similar to what you're going to hear in popular culture. Right now in popular culture, in, in an effort to be inclusive, in an effort to be kind to other people, you're going to hear people say that all religions lead to the same God. All religions have a piece of the truth. You're going to hear things like this said. And what they love to do is they love to use this old-fashioned uh, metaphor of a bunch of blind men who are touching an elephant. So let's say you've got like four or five blind men and they're touching parts of the elephant. And so one blind man says an elephant is a lot like a tree trunk because he's grabbing the elephant's leg. And another blind man says, no, you're, you're ridiculous. An elephant is like a spear because he's touching the elephant's tusk. And then another man says, no, you're, you're all crazy. Elephants are like fans because he's touching the elephant's ear. He can feel the, the skinny, long, flat piece of, of ear that the elephant has. So he goes, that's like a fan. You guys are all ridiculous. And then the, the other guy goes, no, all of you are wrong. Elephants are like snakes because he's got his hands on the trunk of the elephant. And the, the whole purpose of that metaphor is to show, look, all of these people are saying they have the truth, but they're all grasping at a piece of the truth. They don't have the full thing. And so what they'll do then is they'll go, all religions are like this. Christianity has a part of the truth. Buddhism has a part of the truth. Islam has a part of the truth. Um, and, and they go, you know, every religion is, is basically its own unique road to the exact same God. In Rhett's example, then it would be everyone kind of has their own telescope to get to to get to the same view of the sun, right? Now, here's the problem. There are two main problems with this metaphor. The first problem works for both the telescope and the elephant picture. Um, in both of those examples, you have this 
this scene where a bunch of people are are groping the elephant or somebody's looking through the telescope. What is never described is that in these examples, there is somebody who's further back. There's somebody who is apart, is distinct from the example. And that person who's higher up, who's further back, can look at the four or five blind men groping at the elephant, and that person sees the objective truth. The person who sees everyone looking through the different telescopes and, and can see, you know, people saying, no, no, the, the sun's really in my telescope. And the other person going, no, the sun's in my telescope. That person is further back, higher back, and can see what's actually happening, can see that there is one real objective reality. And that, that part of the analogy, that part of the metaphor never gets talked about. These metaphors are tried to use, tried to be used to show all roads lead to God, but the metaphor only works if there's somebody further back who can see, no, they're all wrong. There is only one objective truth. So the metaphor doesn't actually work to prove that there's multiple roads. It only works as if there's one objective truth. And then here's the other part that just kind of fails, especially when it comes to Christianity. We'll use the elephant metaphor here. In the, element, in the elephant metaphor, what isn't considered is the fact that the elephant never tells the blind men, you're all wrong. This is what I really am. I'm an elephant. But see, in Christianity, what we have is the creator God of the universe leaving his throne, leaving the right hand of the throne, entering into creation and telling people, I am God. All through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, Jesus numerous times takes upon himself the title of God. John chapter 8, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. The Jews picked up stones to kill him because they knew exactly what he was saying. Jesus uses the very title God uses in Exodus. God tells Moses, go tell the Israelites, I am has sent you. And here Jesus is in the temple speaking in Hebrew amongst all these Jews before Abraham was, I am. And they knew exactly what he was saying. Jesus makes these statements. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. I and the father are one. All of the I am statements. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the vine. I am the water of life. I am the bread. All of those I am statements. That's Jesus over and over and over saying, I'm what all of the Old Testament was pointing to. I'm the fulfillment of it. I am not just a prophet. I am God. Now, Lewis, C.S. Lewis just so perfectly sums up what Jesus forces you to do. Jesus does not give you the luxury of calling him a good teacher. He doesn't give you the luxury of calling him a good philosopher. He doesn't give you the luxury of calling him a good um, political figure. He doesn't give you that luxury. Because he's making these statements, I am God, because he purported to do miracles, because he predicted he would die and be raised again on the third day, and both of those events would happen publicly, because he said such outlandish, crazy claims like that, he is either, and Lewis said it famously, he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Those are your only options. 
You cannot say he was just a good teacher because he's making outlandish claims. Very, very egotistical claims if he isn't really God. You cannot say he's just a good philosopher because he's making these unbelievably philosophically incoherent statements. Before Abraham was, I am. How in the world does that philosophically make sense unless he is saying, I'm God Almighty? He is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And in the example of the elephant, you don't have the elephant saying anything, but for Christians, we do. We have God entering into our creation and saying, I'm God. I've come to rescue you. I will prove it by dying on the cross publicly and raising myself back from the dead three days later, and I will show myself to over 500 people. See, the analogy breaks down with the elephant when you consider who Jesus is and what he really did. Same thing with the telescopes. The analogy doesn't hold up. They, the, the difference would be the telescope basically saying um, it would be like the sun actually talking through the telescope is kind of what it would be like. It would be like the sun speaking through all of the telescope saying, I am God Almighty. Um, and, and this is a point that I find really fascinating. If you look at all the religions of the world, um, Islam acknowledges that Jesus was something special. Buddhism acknowledges Jesus was something special. Hinduism acknowledges Jesus was something special. Confucius, uh, Confucius acknowledges some, Jesus was something special. Um, Mormonism, obviously, uh, acknowledges Jesus was something special. Every single religion in the world acknowledges that Jesus was something special. They don't ascribe to him deity like the scriptures do, but they all go, no, he was something special. Now, if every single religion in the world acknowledges that, and then you have Christianity coming onto the scene saying, no, he's really God. Here's the something special. All these other religions have been pointing to, here's what he really is. He's God in human flesh come to save us from our sins. Um, I think there's something powerful to contend with. You, you really have to explain how did that come about? Why is it like that? Same thing when anybody curses. When people uh, like curse, when they take especially God's name in vain, why is it always Jesus Christ? Why is it never Buddha? Why is it never Muhammad? Why is it never Joseph Smith? Why is it, maybe it's just a function of the English language, but why is it that people always use that one name? It's always God. It's always Jesus. Why? Well, I think because we're made in the image of God. I think deep down in our hearts, we do know that there is a creator. I think deep down in our hearts, we're, we're carrying the laws of God on our hearts. And it's part of the way the Lord has kind of wired these beacons, like these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like these like homing signals, like these little, these little things in our hearts and minds that like are constantly flashing and blinking, trying to remind us of what, of what and who we were created for. So here's the first attempt at this massive issue of deconstruction. We've covered what exactly deconstruction is, when it's good, when it's bad, how to respond, and then a real-life example here of Rhett trying to say that his telescope or his elephant metaphor disproves one true way to God, when actually the metaphor itself does prove there's only one true truth. There's only one objective reality. And the crazy thing about Jesus is that he himself claimed 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. He himself claims salvation is found in no other name but him. And he died on the cross publicly, rose again from the dead publicly to vindicate those claims. Uh, I'm convinced by the evidence. I'm convinced by my personal walk with the Lord that Jesus really is Lord. He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic. He really is Lord. And I hope that this has been helpful for you. If you know somebody that's kind of wrestling with some deconstruction, not all deconstruction is bad. We don't need to panic about it. Um, But we do need to be careful when it starts getting into some areas that attack the very nature of God, uh, the authority and reliability of the scriptures. And, And I hope that you would be somebody, and I pray this for myself, that we would deal with those who have doubts. We would deal with them mercifully. We just, the kindness and the goodness, but also the intellectual strength of Christ would be on us. Um, and that, that it would be done in a way that is effective, winsome for the kingdom. Uh, so, man, thank you for listening. Hope this blessed you. Hope this encouraged you. Maybe it helped answer some questions you're wrestling with. Either way, thank you so much for listening. I just appreciate you all. Thank you for your support. And I'll plan on seeing you on the next podcast. All right, God bless.